Hello and welcome to Between Two Servers, the show where multiplayer game developers talk about netcode, game development, and esports. Today with us is Victor Hugo Capolini with Tencent. He's really into esports in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Welcome to the show, Victor. Hi, Glenn. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Thanks. Thanks for being on the show. Really appreciate it. So you're the senior esports manager at Tencent. What, what does that mean and what do you do? Yeah, that, that, that's a great question. Well, I've joined Tencent not that long ago. It's been three weeks up wow. until now. Yeah, pretty recent. But I've, I've Congratulations. Already... Yeah, thank you, thank you. Uh, but it's been it's been a, a wild ride already. Uh, basically, I'm in charge of the entire operation of uh, PUBG Mobile esports scene in Brazil in the local market. Wow. So I need to understand how our community wants to compete. How do we make all of that work to build a very healthy esports scene with uh, competitive tournaments that make sense with good prizes for those that are participating and also yeah. to develop a strategy that helps the game itself yeah so you're you're living and working in sao paulo brazil uh i i only know it as the most amazing server hosting location in south america <laughs> in brazil if you're if you're making a game and you don't have servers in sao paulo shame on you Right. That, that's where that's where the servers go. But Victor, could you tell me a bit more about the city? What what's the city like and what's it like living and working there? And what's what's esports like in Sao Paulo? Yeah, uh, so I've been in Sao Paulo since 2014 uh, when I came to college. Uh, it's it's been a long journey. Uh, but it's a crazy city. It's it's huge, first it's, and foremost. It's, it's basically like an LA scale. Latam city, isn't it? It's, I've heard yeah. it's massive. Yeah, it's massive. It's massive. Like yeah. uh, you have a west zone, a north zone, a south zone, a east zone, and they're cities by themselves. Uh, right, it's right, it's right. very mega city. It, yeah, yeah, it's a mega city, <laughs> and every city surrounding São Paulo also lives for São Paulo. Like it, it's that huge, yeah. and so you yeah. have all kinds of lives around here. Uh, if, if you go to a certain region, you'll see the classic favelas that Brazil is known yeah. for. But at the same time, you have like this huge financial district that uh, encompasses all of the richness that Brazil has. So uh, it's it's quite crazy to live here. Uh, it culturally, it's always booming. So I mm -hmm. love Sao Paulo. Uh, even the, the the bad and the good, uh, it all makes sense to me. But in terms of esports, uh, it's 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 very interesting to to see where we were ten years ago mm -hmm. and how we're how we're working right now. Because ten years ago, so how, you what, had what was it ten years ago? Like what what was it like, and how has it changed? Yeah, uh, so we basically had as esports in Brazil in general, it was. CS, uh, Counter-Strike, right? Yeah. Uh, we have a very, very strong Counter-Strike scene in Brazil with a lot of world championships. Uh, and League of Legends was just starting. And now we see that they're just two players. They're huge. They're that big. But you see other games coming to the forefront, like Free Fire is massive in Brazil and has a wide reach with people that 
five years ago weren't even aware that esports was a possibility. So you see this change and you see uh, how this is about the entirety of Brazil. There is an evolution for esports in Brazil. And I believe we're starting to go outside of Sao Paulo and starting to reach right. different regions. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the other regions of South America, because obviously it's a huge country. And I mean, from from my personal experience, I know that if you're in Peru, you know, or if you're in Bogota, Colombia, you, it's it's pretty difficult to get connectivity to Sao Paulo. That's uh, that's that's of, of low latency just due to geography. So is it is it a series of regions in South America? I mean, how, how, or is it or is it sort of like Argentina, Brazil, like like uh, maybe a bit of Chile down in the south? Yeah, is, is the I, upper central really a different region in your mind? There there are a lot of differences depending on the games, right. which servers they use and how they're structured. Uh, usually, what you see is. Uh, Central, um, uh, North America, Central America, and South America are three distinct regions, and you right. see the difference in the people that you're playing against. So if I yeah. launch a Rocket League match in a couple of minutes, uh, I'll see people from Argentina, I'll see people from Chile, I'll see people from Colombia, uh, but I yeah. might not play against someone from Panama. I'll probably yeah. never play yeah. against someone from there. So there's away. this, yeah. yeah, yeah. But but when you discuss how to operate in Latin America, uh, there is this all-encompassing knowledge that oh, this this countries speak Spanish, so we should do the same thing for everyone, which is isn't true. There are a lot of Portuguese speaking as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Brazil Brazil is kind of outside that because people understand that it's a different language. So it right. might have a different culture, but it's okay. bigger than that because you see that Chile is quite different from Argentina. That is quite different from mm -hmm. Peru. And you need to take yeah. that into consideration when you're building, be it a game or an esports initiative. The cultural aspects of each country being very different across South America has a strong impact for game developers and people running esports. I believe so. I believe so. Uh, th of course, it's easier when you're speaking with five different countries that all speak the same language, <laughs> it's easier to communicate. And there are a lot of things that are common, especially when you see the history of these countries and how they're, uh, they're based on, on a, a, sim a similar foundation. Uh, but you need to take ad advantage of the differences that each one has and try to build something specific for that audience. Because uh, in, in the long run, they'll they'll be closer to you once they perceive that you're taking care of them yeah yeah so how how do you as an esports manager take care of the players and foster this how what does that yeah. role look like? <laughs> that's that's a, a big challenge in and of its in and about itself uh you need to listen i believe it, it's really important you need to, to listen to what the professional players are saying and also the community you need to understand what are the shortcomings of your competitive strategy and how the game is how the changes in the game affects the tournaments that you're hosting so yeah. let's say a new update comes around and this update changes a specific a specific weapon or a specific character how does fact how does this factor in the development of your tournament should should you start uh, using the new update? Should you 
finish right. the current tournament uh, without adding all of those changes to the game because the meta defines what you're going to do in your next weeks. So it's so it's so funny when you think about a game and, and game development and and I mean I I've made games and I've made multiplayer games and some of them I'm really proud of um, and I'm 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 just just really happy to create something and release it but games never stay the say stay still after they're released but what if football changed the rule mid-season yeah right that, that, that's a great comparison I mean, that's insane like no I'm trying, I'm trying to play a championship here yes Stop changing the freaking rules right yeah you see you see the evolution of of football with uh visual referee uh, video referees like and mm -hmm. the whole discussion that this raises like there's there's still people in brazil specifically there's still people that are completely against it and think that no this shouldn't this yeah. shouldn't happen you, you you should have like yeah. the structure that it was always played out like but for games that's that's unreasonable because the game is changing yeah. if if the game isn't changing yeah. you're not keeping your your audience engaged well, you're not, and you're not, you're not taking the, the feedback yeah so is yeah. this is this where the seasons come from for games because i mean i can certainly understand if i've got you know season 36 season, season 37 and we take the feedback and the analysis and the player and, we, and then that feeds into the next season i can understand how that could make a lot of sense do, do, yeah. do game developers push tuning changes mid-season in some games how, how does that get received yeah, uh, it all comes down to understanding what the audience feels like and what's the vision for, for the game itself. Like, uh, yeah. a good example, I believe, is Overwatch. Uh, Overwatch right. competitively started uh, as, a, as a very basic structure in terms of meta. Like, you had two tanks, two healers, two DPS dealers. Uh, yeah. But then this evolved and you saw, like, three tanks and two healers and one DPS. And, and this is evolving. And as this, so this, this evolves- This evolution, did it come from the players and the way that they played or did the, the, or did the devs drive this evolution? So, and and that's, the, that's the cool part of the puzzle because a lot of it comes from the players and how yeah. they start to understand the mechanics of the game and how each hero mm -hmm. or each champion impacts the style of the matches and how each one responds to each other but then the, the, the devs they start to understand okay th this is how our audience is playing this is how our games gamers are playing so what can we add to make this more interesting or how yeah. can we respond to this specific uh character or ability being the end all be all of the game mm -hmm. so this is something that makes building an esports league so challenging because sometimes you need to look at the state of the game, look at the difficulties that the community is having and the players are having and the upcoming things that are going to be added to the game and say, okay, for this season, we're not doing this and that, or this hero is yeah. banned for this much time because if we allow it, a lot of things will change in the competitive meta. All of this, is very challenging because you need to factor in different scenarios and also how the players are starting to understand where the game is going. Right, right. So this this is leading into something that I've I've sort of been wondering as a game developer. I mean, I'll I'll I'll, I'll just be honest. I don't watch people play games. Right. I'm I'm 45 and I'm just kind of like 
uh, you know, <laughs> I, I don't, I understand it. It's a thing. I get it. I get the idea of a spectator sport. I, I get the appreciation of virtuosity. Um, and uh, this is all super awesome, but it's, I'm just, I'm just too old for this shit. But <laughs> I make games and I'm wondering, like, when I make a game, how can I support that game becoming a sport? Like, what do I have to do to take a game? What does a game have to do to turn into a sport? What is that? That's, like? that's the billion dollar question, I'd say. Uh, like, it's, I can't answer this because I don't know. Uh, it, it, I know that how, how you can help an eSport and how you can look at your competitive game and see the nuances of, okay, this, is, this can become like something that other people can experience and this is how we can build it. But a few things to take into consideration is the game needs to be fair. <laughs> if, yeah. if competitive wise yeah. it isn't fair, uh, then you're, you're in a pickle because how do yeah. you make this become an eSport? Like, uh, the, the rules must make sense for everyone that's playing and you need to have a playing field uh, for the people competing there. But also you need to always listen to the player base and how yeah. are they experiencing everything. Uh, let's say players are unhappy with a change you made. Uh, you need to take a deeper look into that and see, okay, is this that serious? Because sometimes an update might make, might make changes to the structure of the game that will make your players uncomfortable and unhappy with how the game is being developed. But at the same time, yeah. players do have complaints each update. So which ones are the changes yeah. that you need yeah, to so make? So sorting like, out which ones. So, so like a totally OP character that's totally dominating, right? Is yeah. terrible when it's introduced for everybody who likes the other characters. But, but, but you know, like heaven, heaven protect the, the, the dev who takes that OP character away. Right. Yes. So, like, uh, if I it's, have it's something that I, is my thing that I use, right, and it gets yeah. taken away. I believe the the main way to understand this, and, and of course, that's not a rule. That's not true. Sometimes a character is broken, and it is broken. It it is overpowered, and you need to uh, you need to nerf it. It it happens. It's normal yeah. uh, to the development of of competitive esports. E but when you look at fighting games. Uh, you have these grand stories of a character that was considered like low tier and yeah. raised through their hand ranks and were champions of like evil or something. Yeah. Uh, and a, a that's good, where a good, the professional friend of mine, a good friend of mine was like a, a, a hardcore Dalsim player in Street Fighter. And everyone's like, Dalsim? Come on. Yeah. But that was his yeah. thing. Yeah. And, and that, that's where professionals come in because. These guys truly understand the game yeah. and how each thing works alongside each other. And you need to understand how they're playing and what they're doing with the characters that you've introduced or the abilities that you're showing and see, okay, what are they making of it? Yeah. And how does this affect the entire community? Like, is the community learning and adapting to what we are offering? Or is this just dominating the game and is it losing like the engaging part of it because yeah. it, it's basic stuff but it needs to it needs to be fair and it needs to be fun if it isn't fun anymore if it's just 
I'm doing this because the meta tells me to, and yeah. every uh, like every change I make isn't being effective. Then you might might be in in a situation in which changes are necessary. So so. Tell me, tell me about the player activity in esports in 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 Sao Paulo and Latam. Is it is it is it people playing at home on online tournaments, or or should I think of it as people coming together in front of audiences and playing? How how do those two things mix? Yeah. Uh, also, with the, COVID, the, obviously, I mean, we've had yes. a terrible situation in, <laughs> yeah, in, in, exactly. in South America for two years. So, I mean, yeah, COVID COVID definitely uh, changed things. Uh, you don't like we're starting to see uh, offline tournaments like land tournaments happen right now like yeah these are these are coming back but for these past two years it was all online and you didn't see like the actual teams competing against each other and, and all of that tension that builds up when yeah. each yeah, player true. is looking each other in the eyes so uh, that's something that that when you when you when you look at esports and competitive gaming, uh, it's a strength because you don't need everyone in the same place to actually have a, a valid competition. But at the same time, you lose so much you're missing, because yeah, you're missing things. Yeah, it's yeah. it's very very interesting to be part of that. Uh, in 2019, the Free Fire World Series uh, happened in Rio de Janeiro, and I went there. It was like filled with people. And it had like a very interesting turn of events by the end because one of the Brazilian team, uh, one of the Brazilian teams was was like two matches behind of the Russian team that was leading the competition, and they managed to turn it around and beat the champions, wow. and the stadium went nuts because it's an incredible experience, and it and mm. it's just like traditional sports the yeah. difference is that you're looking at a big screen with a lot of production and you're seeing those players uh interact in a very different way yeah so tell me tell me about the future where do you see esports going well uh, i believe now that we're almost past covid and we're seeing things get better by the day i believe yeah. offline tournaments are coming strong they're coming in hot and this will like we i believe esports is already considered uh a big thing in brazil uh not just in mm -hmm. brazil across mm -hmm. the world uh but yeah. people still didn't have like the direct contact with it like i believe people need to see it like in person to finally get a grasp of okay okay this is what esports look like and this is the type of experience i can have as a watcher because the thing about esports, uh, and speaking from experience, I have never played League of Legends, never ever. I I've installed it like two times, never played it, but I always watch it because I like yeah. to watch the competition. I understand how each uh, each of the the heroes factor in the match. I understand the strategies. I know the players that are playing there, and I I follow them to to a certain degree. And that's something that I believe more people that might not be that interested in playing these games might like to do because yeah. it's, it's just like traditional sports. You don't need to play it to actually be engaged in it and yeah. understand what's happening. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then, I mean, as, as this matures, you also get, I played that when I was a kid. Right. And like, these guys are amazing. Right. Like, yeah. I, you know, like, I, I, you know, when you, you see cricket or football, you, you know, the level of play. Right. Yes. Um, um, it doesn't mean you have to play and be good yourself, but um, where, where does it go? Do you think we're going to have like hundreds of different esports, or is it really just going to be like less than 10? I mean, are we really, are we really fighting over just like four or five slots for, future worldwide sports here uh, if i take the I, analogy it kind of feels like i can't see a hundred you know yeah <laughs> I, I believe it's hard uh because uh to develop a successful game that is equally successful an, as an esports uh it's mm. quite hard because there are a lot of things yeah. that you need to balance out uh by the end of the day your your game must must be uh must be fruitful in terms of revenue, uh, and it needs mm -hmm. to appeal to a casual a casual audience besides esports. So okay. there is there is a limit to the amount of games acting at the same time and yep. covering the same basis. Because when you yeah. when you look at esports, you need education from professional players. Like these guys mm -hmm. must be playing on a daily basis, and they need to understand everything that's happening and keep up to date to the updates of the game itself. So it's hard to, to say, okay, we'll have a hundred different esports. I don't think we're close to that, uh, but I do believe that new players will come around and they'll be as successful as some of the ones that are already here because there's something new for everyone. Like you never know what might pick the interest of general public. Like and there's re regional sports as well, like exactly. uh, football like, is amazing in South America, and yeah. more, more so in Europe, less so in America. Uh, of course, real football, not American football. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks for that. Thanks yeah. for that. Not the hand egg. Sorry, <laughs> I just had to get that in there. Um, and, you know, cricket in Australia, you know, West exactly. Indies, uh, India, you, so see, you see Virtually that, unknown uh, in the United States, really. You see that in, in Brazil, uh, when you compare, like, esports in brazil and the rest of latin america with north america uh you see that around here mobile esports are huge already and that's wow. something that you don't see in north america still uh, and that's mainly uh, related to culture like culture economics like uh, yeah. you see games that are more accessible being more popular around here for obvious reasons and these and if you look at at asia uh, southeast asia china these mobile games are huge over there also yeah. like as esports so all of all the all of the things you've said make sense and also uh in terms of taste and the game itself the structure of the game uh fifa is an esport also uh yeah, it, totally. it's it's the same thing but in a virtual version, it's basically rocket cars playing playing football. Oh, yeah, rock, so, rocket League. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great game. So tell me, tell me about the mobile versus PC thing in South America in particular. Um, is is it just the availability of mobile? Everyone has a phone, but less so. I, I assume that it's is it more PC console? Like like what? Because I know I know like you look at Korea and you go okay PC bums bunch of Korean gaming, not as much consoles there for historical reasons in, in you know, in the, in the APAC region. What is, what is the distribution of devices like in South America and how is that impacting eSports? Yeah. Uh, when, when you look at it, everyone has a phone. So yep. 
if you have a, a mobile game, chances are you're, you're going to have a big audience to work with and to develop mm -hmm. VR eSport. Uh, and Brazil specifically, we're, we're a very unequal country. Like inequality is, is huge here. And the same, can, the same can be said for a lot of different countries in the region. Uh, and that factors in in terms of technology and accessibility because yeah. people might not have PCs at their homes. Uh, even so, mm -hmm. they might not have even PCs capable of running uh, yeah. top-tier games. So this definitely affects the popularity of some games and how they're seen by people that uh, are not that tied to gaming. So yeah. that free fire is huge in Brazil and in yeah. the rest of Latin America. And it, it all starts with the fact that it's a game that runs pretty well on uh, very simple phones, like simple mm -hmm. smartphones can run that game and it's a highly competitive game. So this is something that affects the development of esports leagues definitely in brazil because it all starts with the popularity of the game yeah if you don't have players over there it's really hard to start to see a competitive community you've got to have a foundation of players who can play your game and from that emerges the the competition organically in a natural exactly way. and and the more distributed it and the more accessible it is the more likely that's to be a good example for football what do you need to play yeah just a ball <laughs> Exactly, right? exactly. The most accessible game in the world. Exactly. And, and, and the, the fact that you need a foundation, I, I, I like to, to look at it as uh, it all, it, it's every, when you're talking esports, you're talking a tournament and everything, there's the meta. Mm -hmm. And the meta is something that comes together based on what the community is experiencing and discussing. So if you don't have a big community already playing your game and understanding what you're offering them with updates, with uh, differences in the rules and the mechanics, then a meta is not being built. So you need to understand that the community will, will start to clash and see how the competition is developing. And then you start to build a competitive scene and mm -hmm. an esports league and all of that. So it all starts with the players. If you don't have players, it's hard to make uh, a game become an eSport. You, you need to develop right. a game. Your game make must game. be fun. It's yeah. mu it must be fair. And so the players, the players choose. It's the players. Yeah. You, can, it, you can cultivate it perhaps, but yeah. Yeah, That's it, really it all cool. comes down from the community. Like if yeah. your community is not that engaged in turning your game into a competitive game then th there's there's not much to do yeah yeah that's really interesting so so let's talk about streamers what's what are the role of streamers and influencers in esports uh well they're from my perspective uh, they're vital i believe uh in, in latin america in general uh influencer market is huge you see mm -hmm. there's people that definitely uh affect the way in which some products perform and some games perform. So yeah. you see records being broken by streamers that are playing a specific game and that affects the amount of players that th that game will have in the long run. But at the same time, you see how these personalities, sometimes they come from the esports scene. Like yeah. in Brazil, we have, uh, we have Kami from League of Legends. We mm -hmm. have Fallen from Counter-Strike. We have Nobru from Free Fire. These guys, they, they started 
as players and as professional players they developed their their brand and now they they still have the ties to the games when you look at professional sports you have lebron james yeah. if he re if he decides to retire today yeah, you don't need to watch him tomorrow play yeah. yeah exactly yeah i see so, i see how it goes so yeah. the the stories that these guys built throughout their career as professional players uh will remain there and what they make of it uh defines their success in the long run but when you're looking at the sport how can you work with those guys to make more people watch your games and make more people interact with the product that you're you're promoting so uh sometimes it's via restreams and you interact with streamers that are popular that are inside the gaming community or even aren't but are interested in your game there, there are many strategies in which which you can use to interact with these big personalities but at the same time they need to have a relationship with you otherwise yeah. you're just speaking to a lot of people that might not be engaged by what you're offering as a game yeah makes perfect sense so it's, it looks to me like uh making multiplayer games just got a lot harder now <laughs> you've, you've you've got to have relationships with streamers you've got to have a community you've got to manage that community you've got to you know cultivate and build up a community of people playing your game over many years and then invite them in and engage them in the design of the the sport and work yeah. with them on the meta make changes on a seasonal basis keep it uh, fair and and it also right? and we cannot we can never forget the teams uh the organizations yeah. because they have so you've, you've got to run a league you've got to do teams you've got to i mean have tournaments yeah. you've got to have prize money this is serious business this is yeah, amazing it's it's serious business and and it got crazier by the day uh yeah. but oh boy it's fun so, <laughs> I, I really enjoy working with esports that's awesome so victor thanks heaps for being on the show today and if anyone wants to learn more about esports in latin america reach out reach out to victor hugo capellini his email is on the screen now thanks for being on the show victor thanks glenn thanks it was it was great talking to you awesome see you later Bye, everybody. Here's the hard truth. The internet doesn't care about your game. After all the blood, sweat and tears you put into making your game, you launch and some players get terrible network performance. What can you do about it? Build your own internet? This is why we created Network Next. Network Next is a radically new way of linking networks together. It's a new internet. One where networks compete on a neutral marketplace to carry your game's traffic. Network Next puts you, the game developer, in control of the network. We monitor every player's network performance and you choose when to accelerate them. Not only will you see better network performance for your players, you'll also have the security of knowing that if one network is congested, we switch to another in seconds. Now you control the network.